raise a couple more to the revolution. We have only three words for you. Uh-oh. We're taking over. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Q Zero Theater Cast. I am your host and artistic director, Dan Pelletier. We're here with uh, what will end up probably being our fourth public episode. Today, uh, we are continuing getting to know the cast of our first main stage production, New Space, which opens March 1st at Creva Academy. Tickets on sale very soon. We are here today with Tim Mitchell. Tim plays Senator stanley august in new space say hello to the people tim happy to be here dan (laughs) Um, and we're happy to have you so you know if you haven't uh, been following up on the podcast which you should we're just uh, giving the q zero universe an opportunity to get to know all their cast members kind of give them a little bit more of a personal connection to the piece so uh, maybe if we could just start off if you can give us a brief summary of your theatrical experience and uh, maybe how you got to this point. My background from th- with theater is not, that's not really anything special, I don't think. I did some theater in high school. I started in high school. Um, what was your first show? My first show that I helped out with or that I was actually in because there's a little bit of a timeline. Yes, both. So like, how did we so get I to... So I first got, the first show that I got involved with... Uh, my brother's girlfriend at the time was the house manager, and she was looking for ushers to help seat. So me being a 14-year-old freshman, I was you know happy to be out of the house on a Friday night to be doing something, meet, meet you know other people. And then that led into helping a little bit more with, with some light, te- light tech in, the, in a show that, no, sound tech, sound tech, that's what it was. I should probably know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> it led to me helping out with some sound tech for a show later on that year, and, you know, one thing leads to another. You're a boy who hangs out with a theater group in a high school with not many boys who like to do theater, so they rope you in. Yep, uh, been so, there, done that, yeah. got the t-shirt. Um, so, what was your stage debut? My stage debut was sophomore year of high school, The Rise and Rise of Daniel Rocket. Oh, all right, that's not something I'm familiar with. Uh, it's a story about a boy who can fly, kind of sad. But, oh, uh, yeah. Mm. We just we keep doing sad on the podcast and sad dad. Yeah, sad sad sells tickets. After high school, did you pursue theater in like any meaningful thing, or is it more of just a hobby for you? I immediately after high school, I took a hiatus with theater. Um, I didn't end up going off to college because of family finances didn't exactly work out that way, so I ended up going into the workforce. Um, but then one of my best friends, uh, Zach Peacock, you guys might recognize his name from around here, um, he, he graduated from the University of Maine with a theater major. And when he came back the, uh, the summer before his senior year, he was directing a show of Sam Beckett's Endgame, um, which we used uh, as, a, as a fundraiser opportunity for a theater scholarship for the high school in our hometown. Nice. Um, it's an interesting choice to go for. for yeah, a you know, fundraising it, it piece. Was a, it was a piece that he it was his the first directing piece that he ever did, and oh, he God. wanted to start off with a challenge. Uh, he's yeah. an ambitious guy. Yeah. Well, there's a challenge, and then um, there's Beckett. Uh, so we we used that as an opportunity to raise a fundraiser, like a scholarship fundraiser, about five hundred dollars for the high school um, for somebody pursuing an arts education. And luckily for me, uh, a high school English teacher of mine, Jill Pernard. Her husband, Andrew, is the guy who that same year opened up Hatbox Theater in Concord. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, at this, about the same time that Endgame was happening, were starting to look to cast their production of A Christmas Carol. 
ah. and they needed a, uh, a, a young Scrooge and a Fred. So um, Jill Pinard knew that I was doing the show with Zach for the school, and she thought that I might still be interested in pursuing theater more, and I hadn't done it in a few years, but um, Andrew called me, and he set up an appointment with, with me to read for that, and I ended up getting into Hatbox Theater. Oh, all right. The Hatbox, we are big fans. We're doing a show there this August, Next to Normal. We've also performed there in the past and love to go see shows there. I know uh, Tom this past week went to see Fade. I'm hoping to catch it this weekend. So. I'm hoping this weekend as well. Yeah. Greg Parker, great guy. Yeah, um, and if we all do catch it, we'll do a roundtable review of Fade for the podcast because we you know, just don't want to talk about Q0 things. We want to talk about uh, all things New Hampshire theater. So you getting into th- getting back into theater is a relatively recent thing then. So because the Hatbox has only been open for you know a little over two years now. Yeah, it's it's been just about just about two and a half years since I've actively tried to get back into it. Okay, and um, so how many other shows have you been in uh, since coming back? Um, enough where it's not not so much that. I should be able to lose count, but enough that I have lost count. Okay, yeah. I've worked with companies from Conquer to Nashua to Portsmouth. Oh, excellent. Um, Are you uh, strictly a non-musical performer, or do you dabble in the musical theater? um, Yes and no. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking into voice lessons is something that I've been telling myself that I need to do for a couple years now. Anybody who's actually heard me sing, I'm not... I'm not terrible, but I'm also I don't I personally don't like my voice very much. Um, but I, I have done musicals in the past. I can tell you from everybody that has been on the podcast so far, the number one comment is when we listen to it back is that nobody likes the sound of their own voice. So don't feel too self-conscious about that. Do you have any roles in particular that were you know either meaningful or a lot of fun to you? Like what was your favorite role that you've played? Oh God. Um, well, there's a lot of them that I hold in a special place um, for a variety of reasons. Um, obviously, uh, for A Christmas Carol, Fred and Young Scrooge was kind of like a symbolic thing where um, Andrew brought me into Hatbox and got me like a little bit more introduced to the space uh, because that role ended up getting me odd, like a, a separate audition, which kept, which got me more immersed so into the into the scene. Um, but also. Um, Playing Joe in the last night of Ballyhoo was a uh, was a pretty powerful thing t- for me. Working with the with the director Michael Curtis um, was very was kind of formative in how I think I like to process like taking on a leading character because that's kind of the first time since high school that I took on a more a more leading role. You know, mm-hmm. besides New Space, you're also in a piece uh, in Concord, correct? Uh, yes, the Farmsworth Invention. And who's that with? Uh, that's with the community player of Concord, cool. uh, directed by Brian Halperin. Excellent, Brian. Uh, yeah, Brian's a great guy. I've seen his work. Um, always uh, impressed. But you know, the community players of Concord—they're great group there. Um, what could you talk to us? You know, just a little bit about the piece. Uh, you know, we're not just wanting to plug Q Zero things. We want to promote all local theater in New Hampshire. So tell us about uh, you know the Farnsworth invention and kind of your role in it. Yeah, so hopefully I don't butcher it, but uh, <laughs> the Farnsworth invention is it's sort of a historical fiction, nonfiction piece about uh, the people who invented television. So it mostly follows the stories of Philo Farnsworth and uh, Dave David Sarnoff. So not Professor Farnsworth 
from Futurama? No, I I have told some friends about this show before, and the first thing their mind always goes to is Futurama. Uh, so I'm out. <laughs> I'm not seeing it. Brian, you've let me down. Way to go, Brian. <laughs> uh, and what role do you have in the show? Um, so I'm doing a variety of roles. The show is more so, it's, it's sort of an ensemble piece. Um, Philo Farnsworth and David Sarnoff are played by Dave McNeil and Benjamin. I spacing on his last name. That's okay. I'm um, sure he won't listen to this. Uh, but if he does, right. shout out to Ben. Uh, but the rest of the cast is made up of about 50 different characters uh, played by an ensemble of, I want to say, about 15, 15 to 20 actors. Ooh, that's uh, quite a challenge. That's yeah, a lot of roles. Yeah, so among the roles I'm playing are uh, Stan Willis, a lab, lab assistant for Philo Farnsworth, um, Ridley, one of the executives for David Sarnoff, um, an usher, a couple bar attendants, a couple of other just sort of background characters. So oh, cool. Now, where you're playing so many characters, uh, is that involving like a lot of physicality work to try to differentiate between the people? Um, how are you guys approaching, you know, creating these, uh, you know, un- fifty unique people using only you know, ten real people? And that could be a challenge, especially when you're looking at an ensemble of people that is so outnumbered by the by the characters that they have to play. Um, but I think that a lot a lot of the one-on-one work that we get with each other. So let's say if people A and B are in a scene together, and later on those two people are, are in different scenes with other people, like the chemistry that they kind of play off of each other. I'm kind of butchering this explanation, but just the chemistry of individual people sort of allow them to connect in a way when they're in their certain like character mindset where it's it becomes less difficult to imagine them as their as their other respective characters no i think that i think that makes sense yeah um that's a great way to think about it is there anything in particular with the show that you have found either uh, enjoyable or uh, a particular challenge that you've enjoyed trying to overcome well, I think there's challenges that go along with any one of, of Aaron Sorkin's pieces. Um, just the way that his scripts play off sort of demand a certain like flow and consistency and timing. Um, that is a challenge. But I think that most of the most most of the challenge and the joy of the show kind of comes back between the uh, the breaking the fourth barrier banter between Sarnoff and Farnsworth because they're two people who never met in real life, but throughout the show they're basically on stage with with each other the entire time taunting each other in their past events and endeavors and everything mm-hmm. so it's kind of you know it, that's the challenge but it also is it's sort of the charm to a piece like this it sounds really unique and a good time so um, any final thoughts on the show or just if uh, not why should someone come see the farnsworth invention you should come see the farnsworth invention which plays february 15th through the 17th uh information at communityplayersofconquerors.com Shout out to them. So one of the reasons why you should come see this show is because it's actually the New Hampshire premiere of, of the Farnsworth invention. Um, Aaron Sorkin wrote pieces such as a, like A Few Good Men and other very well-known things. Um, so to be able to see, the, to be able to support local theater, local community theater, and also have the chance to see like the, the state premiere of a piece by a writer such as this, I think, um, Along with the, the charisma of everybody, and you know, you get to see me, of course. So come out and support me, but no guilt there. Um, but I think there's a lot of reasons for people to come out and go see it. It, it sounds like a good time. Hopefully, I'll be able to catch it myself, uh, and then maybe we can again, you know, recap it on the podcast here. Excellent. So let's shift gears to New Space. Yes. Um, so you are playing Senator Stanley August, who is I don't want to say 
a villain of the piece, but he's definitely a kind of a little bit of a shady character. He's a presidential candidate. Uh, why don't you, you know, give me your insight into uh, Stanley August so far? So uh, my Stanley August is a senator who's who's running for president. Mm-hmm. I am Tim Mitchell. I myself am 22 years old. Um, I am somebody who is much younger than somebody who is going to be in the position of they are a senator running for president. So what I have to do to get Stanley August to work for me is I have to find a way to relate that character to myself. So when I think of Stanley August, um, as you said, he kind of comes off as a bit of a slime ball because he sort of has his own best intentions in mind all the time. Um, but I think of Stanley August as somebody who's who, even though he doesn't exactly have the, the best intentions that affect everybody else, he's sort of he's he's pursuing something like which is the presidency and it's, it's going to try to pursue that and attain that by whatever means necessary he doesn't really care about playing by the rules he cares about the end result um he's like result oriented by that you know mm-hmm. um so is this your first time working on an original piece and getting to work with the playwright and if so uh what has that experience been like so far um, I have worked. I worked. Uh, I did a show at the Players Ring as part of the Midnight Summer series about a year and a half ago. Heist, um, and I, d- I did work with the the director and and his brother. Uh, his brother was the one who wrote it, and his brother directed it. Um, so I did get I get the experience back then of like working with directly with the playwright. It was in much less of a workshop phase than this is now. It was more so of like a a quote-unquote finished script um, that they were producing for the ring, um, and this is this is a much more like hands-on workshop process. So, what are the biggest challenges for you when you're working on a, a new piece of theater like this? I think for me, one of the biggest challenges is trying to uh, take, as an actor, uh, trying to take the character that you're given and trying to portray it in a way that's honest to what the playwright wants more so than I think it is for other parts because the playwright is there with you in your rehearsals and your table reads um, and it's sort of in the back of your mind you're, you're thinking what what exactly because when, when you're given a character there's sort of a discovery phase where you like learn about that character to see how you can connect with them and when the character is constantly evolving and changing with a person who's designing them in the room, you have to think, like, am I, am I doing what they're thinking, what they're imagining? Am I living up to the expectation that was given to this character? It's, it's, it's just a little bit more personal, I think. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. You get a chance to put your personal taste on it. There's no—I mean, you have the expectations of the player right there, but then you also aren't— being compared against anyone that's played a role before, which sometimes can be a trap, depending on the type of show. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's a benefit of it as well. You know, you get to kind of make your own make your own mark in a in a different sort of way. Yeah, get, and there's a little bit more freedom there. You know, you're where we're workshopping and rewriting the piece. We're not uh, mailed down to having to stick precisely to the text quite yet. Uh, you know, we don't have to write a letter to Sam French or the publishing company to get permission to cut scenes, which everybody does before they cut scenes and cut things. And no one ever cuts things without permission from the rights company. We have already gone through a you know huge iteration of the script. Um, I can't remember if you got a full chance to read the original. 
um, or anything, but has there been any, you know, fun discoveries that you've had in, in, uh, you know, the process so far or things that you've enjoyed about, you know, what we've worked on? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Um, I think one of the joys of working with an evolving character, a character that doesn't have everything, you know, nailed to the ground, like, like you said, um, is that it, it can come off more organically, you know, when every time you play a character when you're messing around in rehearsal you're not always going to do it the exact same way something's going to change you're going to experiment a little bit before you decide on how you're going to like play something off um and being able to do that with a living changing character it's uh it's a lot of fun uh, what was the no i think that covered it um okay. so any final thoughts on new space so far or particular reasons why you want to tell our audience that they should come see this show things you've enjoyed something that's unique just you know wrap up uh, our segment on new space well i think especially now in 2019 leading up to the 2020 elections and everything like that i think that the, the plot behind new space and the concepts and the subjects that it touches um i think it's pretty it's pretty poignant i think it's pretty relevant right now um you know, I don't want to dive in too much and give too much away, but just uh, it's new space is a political drama um, that that sort of dips its toes into things that we may have already experienced or may be experiencing right now with our own political system. You know, mm. um, so it's a political drama fiction, uh, but it it just in in a very I think sort of ironic way kind of parallels some things that we're seeing today. So I think that um, viewers would, would find that interesting. I know that I would have, so. Excellent. So once again, New Space plays March 1st through the 3rd, Kriva Academy. Tickets will be just $15. All seats, general admission. Tickets will be on sale very shortly. We'll be doing a big announcement and reveal for our new ticketing system. Um, Tim, is there anything else about uh, your theater background that you would like to let the good people of the Q Zero podcast listeners to know? Oh man, like do you have a particular fun memory or story or just thing you love about being an actor, even if you know it's just a, a side hobby type thing? Like what's what what keeps Tim Mitchell going in the theater? What keeps me going is that uh, it's just it's something that I'm I'm always learning. You know, it's something that you, there's not really a a way to figure it out because every production and every time you meet a new team of people, you, you're you're observing them, you're observing their techniques. They they're teaching you things and you're teaching them things. It's like it's an exchange of ideas without being so in your face about it. And it's about crafting an art form that's that's personal. It's I, I personally think that it's like it's one of the most personal things because you have to reach like down into your into your thoughts, your past experiences and your emotions and everything like that. And it's it's a pool it's it's a pooling of like of you sharing how you express that with other people who are sharing their like their own experiences and it it's just sort of it's like it's a vulnerable emotional experience that I don't think a lot of many other things that are face to face will like will give you these days. I can completely agree and relate. I think everybody should take a chance and put, you know, be on stage and you can learn a lot, not just about yourself, but about different sorts of people, the human condition from getting to play all these different characters and it can kind of open up your way of thinking and seeing things. Um, so thanks for that, Tim. So I think that's about all I have uh, for you. I think maybe 
we'll uh, take a quick break on this episode, and then we'll uh, throw to Marjorie must have some bad Broadway fan fiction for you, and I know how big of a hit that was. So we'll take a quick break, we'll play an ad for something or whatnot, and then we'll uh, wrap up this podcast. Thank you. Hey Q-Zero fans, are you looking for something awesome and fun to do on January 25th? Then you should come on down to Jupiter Hall for an evening of original plays by me, resident artist Marjorie Boyer. We'll be presenting Promises and The End of the World. Both are one acts which I think are highly entertaining. Not only will you get a night of cool plays, but after the show, Dan and I will be hosting a talkback where you can pick my brain about the plays and my writing process. Leave your kids at home, because you do not want to miss Promises or the End of the World at Jupiter Hall on January 25th. The show starts at 7 p.m., and tickets are on sale at Eventbrite now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Q-Zero Theater cast. We're now shifting gears. We had such a good response uh, from episode three's bad Broadway fan fiction. Apparently it was a huge hit. A lot of people enjoyed it. So we're hoping we can make it a regular piece of the podcast. Maybe not every episode, but we'll try to bring it to you as often as possible. Um, So Marjorie's prepared two pieces for us. Yes. Two pieces for us. Um, Do you want any sort of introduction? It's just uh, Marjorie, I, and Tom here now. Uh, Jake is not with us today. And Tim... Uh, has departed since uh, we last spoke, so... He's done a lot of work. Let the poor boy rest. Yeah, we know. He needed the, the, the rest. Thank you again, Tim, for the excellent interview. So, Marjorie... Yeah, you rule, dude. Marjorie, do you uh, have anything you want to preface this with, or are you just going to throw out this bad Broadway fan fiction? As always, I'm just going to throw this bad boy out there. Get ready. Okay, again, Tom and I have no... Uh, she has not cued us in on what this is or what to expect. So, you know, there will be laughter breaks, uh, and I will try to find some music to score this with in post-production. Cue music. One day at Rydell High School, Izzy and the Pink Ladies are hanging out at the sitting area at the sports field. Then Stephanie said, Girls, this is Izzy, Johnny's sister. We need to take care of her until Johnny comes to us. Then Paulette said, Oh wait, if that's the Izzy, oh my god, I have heard so much about you. Johnny tells us that you are like a blessing to him. Then, after two hours of gossiping and giving Izzy a rebellion-like makeover, they hid her as Johnny walked up to, with his group and said, Guys, no had you seen it. N-O-H-A-D is the word. Guys, no had you seen Izzy. Um... I've taken her to a diner. She's never been to a diner. Oh, wait, where'd she go? Oh my god, you guys lost her. As the pink ladies reveal Izzy Rebellion-like look, he smiled. And on the way to the diner, he noticed her reading something that was not for her age and said, The guys put that in there might be offensive. A-F-F-E-N. No, just A-F-E-N-S-I-V-E. The guys put that in there. The guys put that in there. That might be offensive for you because you are a girl. Izzy said, I don't mind. This is a gift from Dad. He says that I need to look like this when I'm your age. Then Johnny said, Hold on. We're going to be a little bit faster. Wait, time out. Oh, time yeah. out. Wait, hold on. When I'm I, your age, I don't what think... is the age difference between Izzy and Johnny? No idea. They're both at Rydell High School, I guess. Yes, but I... Mm. I don't know that we can continue on with this. Yeah, I'm, I'm mm. concerned. I'm, 
Now, I haven't seen it. Is this the plot to Grease 2? No, that's uh, Olivia Newton-John. No, Olivia yes. Newton-John's in the... No. Yes, she's in the first one. She's definitely in the first one. Yeah. Who, am I, who am I thinking of then? Uh, it's not Michelle Pfeiffer, is yes, it? Yes, it is. Michelle, it is Michelle Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer is in Grease 2. Where she's, she's the Danny and then he's the Sandy and it's just the same thing. Can you confirm we're not going to get in trouble for this one? Yeah, let's. let's it just stays clean. It better. stays okay. clean. Okay, okay. okay. I'm your. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> then Johnny said, Hold on, we're going to be a bit faster. As they bolted to the diner, he noticed her wearing a bike helmet with flames on it and took it of her and put it on the bike and said, You know you can't wear that on a motorcycle, Gott. She nodded her head and he saw her rebel smile as they put on their shades and he said, I teach you well, my little sister. And as they walked towards the front door, someone pushed in front and Izzy done karate on the total stranger and said, Next time you see me and my brother think twice about pushing in front of us, got short stack. And the stranger nodded his head and Johnny and Izzy strides into the diner. He said, Who taught you karate, Izzy? That was awesome. Izzy said, self-taught. And after she returned to school and they were separated by the classes, and after her first test at lunch, Johnny and the two groups noticed that Izzy was carrying a piece of paper, and Johnny said, hey, Izzy, Izzy, listen to me, Isabel. Then Izzy said, yeah. Then he said, what's in your hands? Then Stephanie snatched the paper and said, she got an A++++ on her Henry VIII six wives, Johnny. She passed her first test of the high school. Then Johnny looked up to Izzy, not there. Then he looked to his right, where the door to the lockers are, and found her trying to escape and ran after her while yelling, Izzy, you get right back you get back here right now, or I'm going to spank you good. Then he saw Izzy reach into her locker and pull out a birthday gift and said, Happy 15th birthday, Johnny. Then he opened it to reveal a picture of them on his first day of high school, and he hugged her smiling and said, I can't believe you remembered my birthday when I have to remind you on the night before it. Then they saw the others laughing, saying, He forgot his own birthday. Then Ozzy pulled out a knife and said, Okay, keep laughing. There'll be a hole in your thoughts. Now shut up. Then they stopped laughing. <laughs> 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 there is no punctuation. I have so many questions. <laughs> Zero punctuation. <laughs> My Tom and I's faces just started twitching <laughs> sometime around self-taught. <laughs> and it, if the if my mouth being a gape could make a noise, just I I don't want to hear that noise. You know that speech the principal gives in Billy Madison? We are all now dumber for having listened to this. <laughs> oh, it's not done. Oh, it's okay, I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. Keep laughing, there will be a hole in your thoughts now. Shut up. Then they stopped laughing and ran off, and jo Johnny hugged her tightly, and she, Johnny, I can't breathe. Then he immediately untightened his arms and said, hey, want to go bowling tonight? Are you done now? That's the end. That's the end. Hey, want to go bowling tonight? She knows karate. Why is she going to go bowling? Is your second one less uncomfortable? I feel like it's not. <laughs> There's more punctuation in the second one. Okay, uh, so, so more uncomfortable. Right. Got it. Yeah, but um, okay. I don't. Who is Izzy? Johnny's little sister. Come on. But they're dating. No, it was. Th it's. That's slang. That's not in Alabama, maybe, but. Roll Tide. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just? So what show, what show is that from, you guys? Guess. Anymore. Guess what show that was. I, we're on episode... All right. Yeah. High school, judging people, karate, Heathers. Yeah. It's all Heathers. Mm -hmm. All Heathers. Everything. Okay. Just Can we go to the next one before yeah. I cancel this segment? <laughs> I'm already regretting giving you this power. <laughs> Are you ready? 
No. No. <laughs> Mary Magdalene watched from a distance. She didn't understand it. How could people be so cruel? How could they find enjoyment in the cruel treatment of other people? It didn't make sense to her. Hey, she said, stop being mean to my friend. I don't know where this is going, but I'm already not okay with it. <laughs> yeah, Tom? She tried to say it out loud, but it was as if her voice was paralyzed. Still, capital H, he heard her thoughts. He could hardly speak, but he managed to look at her with a smile and capital H, his eye. Oh yeah, no, that's pretty much where I thought it was going. She could almost hear him whisper. Thank you. That's it? That's it. What? So. Hey, <laughs> stop being mean to my friend. Huh. That's it, that's all I got. That's all you got. You know, I actually enjoyed that more than I enjoyed Jesus Christ Superstar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wanna go bowling? <laughs> <laughs> And on that note... Johnny, uh, she got an A++ on her Henry VIII's Six Wives test. I'm trying to do the outro, please. And on that note, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Q Zero Theater Cast. Thank you to everybody that came to the bookery to see a Midsummer Night's Dream. Hopefully we'll see just as many, if not more, people at our staged reading at Jupiter Hall on January 25th. Uh, promises the end of the world two original works by marjorie boyer followed by a talk back with marjorie boyer which we will be recording and creating a members exclusive podcast episode with it so for all of you ensemble level or higher members out there through our patreon or gofundme you get that content forever um so thank you again for listening uh i'm dan pelletier here with tom lott How's it going? Marjorie Boyer. You're welcome. Thank you to Tim Mitchell for letting me interview him. And as we always say, support local theater and join the revolution.